I'm going to 1 Corinthians, I'm second Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 18, and then I'm just going to break it up a little bit. So the reading goes like this, it says, Therefore, since we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, whose minds the gods of this age have blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. He says, for we do not preach ourselves, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthly vessels, that, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but yet not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Lord Jesus Christ, that, uh, sorry, of Jesus Christ, and the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body for we who live are always delivered to death for jesus sake that the life of jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh so then death is working in us but life in you and, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written i believe and therefore i spoke we also believe and therefore we speak knowing that he who raised christ from the dead all right also raised upon, uh, sorry, let me say it again. Knowing that he who raised upon the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise upon Jesus and will present us to you. For all things are for your sake. The grace having spread through the many, many causes, thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inner man, inward man, is being renewed day by day. For the light of afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us far more exceeding and eternal in the weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now that's a long scripture. But it's a scripture that you and I often forget about completely. And God speaks about them. I want to just go to a scripture quickly with you. And the same scripture, and I just want to get it in, in another version. Just bear with me here. Yeah? All right. In the, in the New Living Translation, it says this. It says this. Verse 1 it says, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us a new way. So he speaks about the ministry. In another scripture, he speaks about the God has given us the gospel, the good news of Jesus. In the, in the, in the New Living Translation, he simply says that he has given us a new way. 
We never give up, he says. We reject all shameful deeds. But listen to this. He carries on and he says this in verse, in verse 5. He says, you see, you do not go around preaching about ourselves. We preach about Jesus the Lord and we ourselves are his bond servants. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made the light shine in our hearts so we know the glory of God that is seen in Christ Jesus. And right at the end of the scripture in verse 17 it says this. And I want to just grab hold of you here. It says, for the, where are we now? Uh, yeah, it says, for the present troubles and small are small. I won't last very long. Yet the produce of us, us yet it produces for us glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Listen So we do not look at the troubles we see, rather we fix our gaze on the things we cannot see. Now, last week I was watching the Motor GP. And I've known this all about because our kids race and all that kind of stuff. But last week I was I was thinking about um, uh, from the off the service from Thomas and I got that phrase, alright, fix your gaze. And I didn't really know where the scripture was, but I found God saying that to me. And as I'm watching the motor GP, those of you that have raced and, and play sport, it is a very simple thing, and it says that you need to fix your eyes. On what it is that you do. You know that you hit nearly 100% of the things you aim for. And if you watch the motor GP guys, or you watch the F1 guys, when they take a corner, they don't look where they're riding, they look where they're going. Now, now you can look at me. They'll come around the corner like this, and you think that they should be looking, yeah, and with actual factual used to race. Well, not very well, but I mean. <laughs> no, not easy. But where do you look? You look, you look to the future. Where are the golfers? When everyone's having a bad day, what do we say? Keep your head down and watch the ball. Watch the ball. When we joke about golfers, they lift your head and what? Lift your head and force. We do all over the place. That when we play rugby, we're asking you for the ball. What do we say? Keep your head down. Focus on the ball. Every sport, everything that we do, the most important part of all of that is that you keep your eyes focused on the job at hand. Now the problem is this, that, that often as believers, we get so distracted by everything around us. We get distracted with the interest rate that's going up, and the diesel price is going up, and the petrol price is going up, and you know, school fees are going up. We can easily become so distracted from what it is that we're really serving here. And I've got to ask a few of you this morning, all of you this morning, what is it that you're doing in the world right now? What is it that you believe that you're called to be in this place right now? In our nation, not just in our nation, but in our city, in our workplace, in, in our church, wherever it is. There's got to be a purpose. There's got to be some kind of a calling. There's got to be some kind of a goal. Because the word of God is very simple. Can you say the body without vision will perish? It says the body without vision will perish. That means if you've got no direction in what it is that you're doing, you're going to go all over the place. And it's the same thing in Christian life, that we profess to be Jesus and love Jesus and you know, give our lives to Him and serve Him and come to church 27 times a week or whatever it might be. The problem is just that if we're not focused on Him and His calling for our lives, we're going to be distracted by everything around us. And we are. You and I are distracted by all around us. And yet the word of God comes back and, and he says this incredible start, um, Paul writes, and he says this incredible thing right in the beginning of the step. He says, Therefore, since God has given us 
a new way. Now listen to me. How many of you are truly living in the new way that it has for us? And how many of us are still living in the old way? And how many of us are trying to find a balance between the old and the new? In church life, we call that new war. Because somewhere in society, we think that, that when we give our life to Jesus and when we become believers, we have to give up stuff. And somehow the devil makes us believe that the stuff we're giving up, we cannot do without. The promise is not to tell you the truth. Because most of the stuff you have to give up will either destroy you or kill you. That he makes you believe that you cannot go to bed at night without a living. That if you do not have a cigarette every 20 minutes, you will physically drop down dead and die. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? That if there's no coke in the house, if there's a law, who drinks still water? Honestly, who drinks still water? No. Purpose. But hear what I'm saying to you this morning. Hear what it is that I'm saying to you. Is that we are so focused on so much around us. And yet, what God says, He's given us this new way. This new way of living. This new way of doing our marriage. The new way of bringing up our kids. The new way of being a friend. The new way of being a brother. The new way of being a lover. The new way of being a whole lot of stuff. But so many of us are never going to move into the fullness that God has for us because because such a religious mindset still. That we're so caught up in the past that we believe that there's 25 rules to, to be a good Christian and you need to sing 18 songs and you know you need to write 10 verses of the Bible a day. And yet we don't understand that, that when I came to him, I came to him just the way I was. With all my sin, with all my addictions, with all my faults, that's how I came to him. I didn't dump him squeaky clean. I didn't dump him, you know, speaking in tongues and singing hallelujah songs. That's, that's not the way I came to him. In fact, I came to him in absolute brokenness. I came to him where I didn't want to be with him. Because I thought somehow he was punishing me. Why? Because we were taught that growing up. You know that if you disobey God, he's going to smite you with a lightning bolt from heaven. I mean, grace was not mentioned in church. The only time they mentioned was in that song, Amazing Grace. There was no such thing as God going to forgive your sins and remove his father's issues from the West. There was none of that. Because we pointed that scripture, the wages of sin is death. So when we sinned, we died. And it's true. You hear what I'm saying to you this morning? But there's so much more that God has to do. There's so much more that God expected you to walk around and just being a yes puppy. Hear what I'm saying to you. God needs you to live your life. God needs you to be out there. God says that He's given us the good news. This good news, this new way. The problem is that when I look at those Christians these days, they don't look that happy with the new way. We live in a world where everything we do seems wrong. We can't speak it about certain stuff. We can't mention certain stuff. You know, I have been watching programs on, on TV lately. And every time I watch a program about the Christian faith, the belief system, 
if you make sure you look at a bunch of clouds, have you noticed? You know, that there's one guy that will, there will be a riot breaking out and there will be one guy on his knees and just praying. You know, and it's like, wow. There's one in the middle that's prepared to fall on his knees and pray. Everyone says, that's true, is it? And it's not just the unbelievers that are thinking that, it's believers are thinking that. And then we get challenged because how many of us would do that for our faith? How many of us would stand up for our faith? How many would say that this is wrong and this is not God and this is not of God? The word says that He's given us a new way. It carries on and says this in, um, and He says this, listen to me, and I, I want to get to this place today. It says to me, it says, yeah, it says, um, where do we go? Uh, where are we now? Yeah, we go. Okay, let me read from the beginning. Therefore, since God has given us his mercy and a new way, we never get up. Listen to this. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We do not try to trick anybody or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all of those we know we are honest. The, if the good news is preached, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, is in only for people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. There is an unsaved and able to see the glorious light of God, of God and his good news. Now, now hear me this one, because I want to say to you that when I wasn't saved, the gospel really did substitute to me. Did Jesus really walk on water? Or is it just... The story. Did Lazarus really come out of the tomb? Or is it just what pastors use? Did Jesus really die on the cross? And we all ask ourselves those questions, haven't we? We all journey this road. And the word of God says a credible thing. He says that we are a fragile containers, a fragile body, almost like a, a fragile vessel, he says, filled with the things of God. But yet we are broken so easy. We are broken so easy because somewhere along the line, we just believe that somewhere along the line, God has left us, or God has forsaken us, or God has, has moved away from us. That we think when we go through difficult times, or when we go through hard times, and we go through times where, where, where everything is falling apart around us, somehow we think that this is God's punishment on us. Right or wrong? Many of us do. Many of us believe that very fact. And we don't understand that the word of God says that what the enemy does is he veils the gospel to you. What does he mean by that? You know what a bride is very? And she's got a veil on? You know what she looks like behind her, but you can't see what she looks like. And this is the very thing that the enemy does not that he brings a veil over your eyes. A veil that you don't understand the gospel. Your veil that you don't understand the scriptures. You read the Bible, it doesn't make sense. You want to have a quiet night and you're going to want to pray. You're going to want to pray. You want to get in time of worship and you just can't do that. Is that when the enemy comes and veils you, when he veils you, what does he do? He just causes you to doubt. And the word says that because we are believers, he carries on, he says this here, he says, uh, he's, uh, verse 4, he says, um, verse 5, sorry, he says, he said, you see, we do not go around preaching about ourselves, but we preach Jesus the Lord, and, and we ourselves are his servants Jesus, for Jesus' sake. For God said, let there be light in the darkness, and he has made this light to shine in our hearts 
so we know the glory of God that is seen on the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Now we now have the light shining in our hearts, but our cells are like fragile clay jars containing a great treasure. Do you believe this morning that you carry a great treasure? Do you believe this morning that what you're carrying is the good news of Jesus Christ in your heart? Do you believe this morning that because of the Christ that is in you, the hope of glory, that you can change people and the world around you? Do you believe that? Do you believe the fact that if the Word of God says that, Sean, you will lay hands on the sick and they will be well? Not maybe, they will be well. Do we, do we really believe that? Do we believe in that kind of treasure that is in us? Because that's the treasure he's speaking about. The same spirit that raised Christ from that death is where we're in. The same spirit. The same spirit that pulled Lazarus out. The same spirit that raised the centurion's daughter. The same spirit that was in Jesus that, that healed the dead heavens. The word of God says that same spirit, excuse me, I've been goosebumps here. But that same presence, that waited presence, the word of God says, is in you. And it is a treasure. What do we do with treasure? We protect it. We guard it. We keep safe. We haven't got it. We spend our lives searching for treasure. What is it? Treasure is normally something of great value. And when I read the scriptures week, I thought to myself, like, I mean, I know I'm the pastor in that, but like, do I see this, this gift of eternal life, this gift of the presence of God in my life? Do I really see it as a treasure? As something of, of importance? Or do I just exist? Do I just exist? Do I just, just go through the motions? Just live life? No change? I don't pray for the sick. I don't, I don't speak to, to anybody about Jesus. We don't show people what we've been through. And the problem is this, and I want to say this to you now, and I know what you want to hear, but let me tell you something. People see Christ in you, not when you're H-A-P-P-Y. People see Christ in you, the way you handle situations. How you react to criticism. How you react to what people say about you. How you react to failure. How you react to falling apart or marriage or divorce or, or whatever it might be. How people look at you and they want to see, but people know what you came through. And they want to act. Do the, the F-bombs start flying all over the place the minute that you just lose your temper? Does the door get slammed and the dog get kicked? Because you lose your temper? And I'm telling you this, because I was that monkey this week. I came home and the cat had cops in my pocket. I got outside, my dog had dug up my garden. All of my doors struck the whole bunch of it. I was mum. <laughs> my light was switched off. There was no more glow here. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys all know what he just said, yeah? Hey? 
I'll tell you something that dog nearly made me mad. The second dog was coming. <laughs> and you know what the problem is? I treat her so well. She sleeps in a basket, she gets good food, and then pick up a poop after. And then he comes and picks up my garden. And I'm using an example because I'm using that as a dog. But many of us are like that in our lives. I can't believe when they have seen that about me. Do you know I could have been to them? Hey? I can't believe they should have said that. I've been praying in this family for years. We always got somebody to blame for what's happening in our lives. No, no, you're not your temper because you're not your temper. Take ownership. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry though. I thought I apologized. I, th I thought I apologized publicly. It's better that time. It's really easy. Right? But it carries on like this. He says, it carries on and says this. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. And so the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Carries on, he says, but we live in the face of death. But this is not the result of eternal life. For we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. And we know that you raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, will also raise us with Jesus, um, present, uh, raise us with Jesus and present us himself to the Father. And all of this is for your benefit. And as for God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. He says this, this is why we never give up through our body, even though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present trouble are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that has vastly outweighed them, that will last forever. So do not look at the trouble we see, rather fix your gaze on Him. You know what I realize? It often is, it's often quite cool, it's easy to be a Christian when you're with Christians. Right? And, and, we, and we can be real good Christians when we were church people. But, but our real test is not really how we hear. Our real test is not really how we react when we, you know, with our Christian friends. Our, our real test is how do we act when we're with our unsaved friends. Now, now there's a Blomby. Where's Blomby? Blomby. From myself. Work together, probably 50 years of life together. And, and we see going a good brand new, okay? Lisa, right? But we came to a place where I, I came to a. <laughs> what? Lisa. Without Amazon. I think it's But my little real challenge wasn't. So I got to a place actually about. Um, 28 years ago, actually, like today's date, the German face. I didn't make it. I gave up drinking off the German face. One good thing about the German face. But I remember giving up drinking. And it was great to give up drinking when I was at home. It was great to give up drinking when I went to the light group. It was great to give up drinking when I was at church on Sunday. The problem was when we had a, we had a bride with all the policemen. And I don't know why you look And you've got to sit there and actually be different. And of course, you know, you stop drinking and then you're a sissy and 
this and you got weak and your wife wears the pants at home and did she give you permission to drink it? You know the normal stuff. But I remember at one stage, actually quitting drinking but never killing anybody. Do you know that you went to three weddings after that? And I didn't touch alcohol and not one person knew that I quit drinking. <coughs> and then I realized that alcohol doesn't even make a difference. Like how it makes you sick the next morning. <laughs> and I'm telling you this because we're coming into a season right now where, where, where the commercial value of Christmas has far exceeded the spiritual value of Christmas. Where we used to sing our carols, where we used to walk around and talk about Jesus, where we used to have a nativity place, where we used to celebrate the goodness of God in our lives. And I mean, in the beginning of October, the Christmas stuff was out already. But we haven't started advertising December yet. And when I walk through all the Christmas decorations, I thought to myself, what are we going to do to your purpose? Are we going to go on a sabbatical? Like most of us do. When the 16th and the factories come, the sabbatical for the next year So we don't do church, we party like animals, we eat ourselves into a coma, we celebrate, we spend too much money, we blow our credit cards, eh? and then Janet, oh, Jesus, I love you so much. <laughs> I repent of my waywardness. I repent of my gluttony and my drinking load. We laugh. We all do it. And then you invite us pastors in January and listen to all your sob stories. How your family forced you to drink and how they brought alcohol and how you didn't come to church because Sunny was here from Pretoria and Peter was here from Leisner. And and the worst part about it is we all find excuses to actually have a little break in this from church. Yeah. Thank you for the honest crowd in the middle. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Even us as pastors, when everyone goes on a break, we just think we to make on a break. I've been in ministry full-time 23 years. I've been preaching Christian messages for 23 years. How many Christmas messages can you preach in the last time? <laughs> Think about it. Kathy, the same scripture. What are we going to get out this year, 25? But you see, it's not about the scripture. It's not about what we preach in December. It's not about what we say. It's about who we are in December. The word of God said that we have this incredible treasure filled up inside of us. That was the overflow. That God said, let it be light and there was light. He said, let it be darkness and there was darkness. You know what that means? That means that this December, if, can't we just be the light for a change? Hey, can't we just do something different for a change? Stand up for what we believe in. Did our yes be yes and our no be no this year? Not overspending our credit cards this year. And I know it's a thing, that, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing. We buy presents we don't even use. We buy presents and we spend 300 rand in a toy and our grandkids look at it and go, oh, Next presents. Another 300 rand. Next presents. And you walk, you see my bag and the things are like, it doesn't touch. 
And somehow we got this, this thing that we need to give because when we give, people will like us more. And yet, what we really need is charity. What we really need is to be there for one another. What we need is the same is to help those that are less fortunate than ourselves. Help those that haven't got food. I stopped out and I speak to all my, my foreigners, you have a visiting him. And it's just kind of a weird thing because she turned around and she said to me, Remember during COVID fasting, you used to feed us. Hey, we were fat then. <laughs> she said, But look at us now, we're super. She said, When you're bringing us more food. And I actually thought about it. I thought, you know, we're probably going to have the whole day of sheep and our family this Christmas. Hey, give me the pork and the chicken and the beef and the, the salt and whatever, and you know, we're going to have it all. But do we stop for a minute to realize that there are people that are genuinely less fortunate than us this Christmas? They haven't got a Christmas meal. They haven't got a chicken for Christmas even. And I'm preaching this message today because you know what I think? I fix your gaze. And fix your gaze on things that are important. And when I say fix your gaze on things that are important, I start to realize something a long time ago. That the more time I fix my gaze on Jesus, the more time that I spend with him, the more time I get into his work, the more time I fall in love with him, the more things I want to do out of love. I don't have to get Christianity today. I want to give a chicken I don't have to give the guy the robot five grand. I want to give him five grand. That's the difference. There's a difference between wanting to be with somebody and, and just wanting to do something to ease your own conscience. Because I walked away from them there and I thought, oh, this is terrible. I Christmas package is ready for them. And then the thought popped in my head was this. Are you doing it because you feel bad? Or are you doing it because God told you to? And I have to step back and go, wait a minute. God, where, where do you want me to be this year? Where do you want me to be this year? I really have to ask God these questions. Because something we just do stuff. Let me just do stuff. But we don't know what God really desires in your life and in my life. And I want to say this to you this week. Fix your gaze on the things that are important in your life. Fix your gaze on Him. Fix your gaze on your marriage. Fix your gaze on your relationships. Fix your gaze on your fellowship. Fix your gaze on being there for someone else this December. We can all stand and criticize all the time. But you know something? Sometimes we're going to step it up. Sometimes we're going to do just that little extra. Yesterday we started laying grass. And I'll tell you something. I never knew 500 square meters was that big. It felt like I was planting the whole shallow. But when we started, there was only five of us. And I tell you something, the five of us tackled that one pile and just felt like that pile was just not coming to me. And you know what the crazy part was? The more people came, the easier it got, the quicker it was. Two hours, two hours, 500 square meters longer. Lester never sits on the side of his knees and died. 
He actually looked like a little squid, little spill pipey. The more we talk, the easier it is, the better it is. That when we come together and say we're a family, let us be a family. That we come together and we're there for each other, let us be there for each other. That when I say, Stephen, I'm praying for you, that means I have prayed for you and I'm going to pray for you more. It's not just something I say. And the Word of God says this thing to us this morning so clearly in the Word of God. He says, we've got this message. We've got this good news. He says, the light of Christ, the hope of glory, hey, is in us. You know, we often, in closing, and I'm going to come land now. I'm first, my first landing. But I always love the story. Let me just read something quickly. And I want you to, I don't even turn, I'm going to turn, trust me. Matthew 14. Verse 22. We all know the story. Verse 22. So it goes like this. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before them to the other side. And while he sent them, uh, sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea, on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Is this a ghost? And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, the hooligan of the bunch, says, Peter, Peter said, answers, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, we walked on the water to Jesus. Why do we leave that part out? Why do we only preach and say that we can tell Jesus? And we see that Jesus was the only man that walked on water. The word of God says Peter walked on water. The word says he walked on the water. He didn't get the boat and see, oh, you're going to make the gospel. No. Listen to what the word said. We keep missing this stuff. Where do we know? Verse 22, verse 23 says, And he said, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said to him, Come. And when Peter came down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind and the wave bolts, he was afraid. But we always miss out the fact that he physically walked on the water. And I don't know about you, I don't know about December, but I believe without a shadow of a doubt in my heart that this is going to be an extraordinary December for many of you. And you know why? Because I think for many of you, you've refocused. For many of you, you start to fix your gaze. Yes, you're going to face some trouble, but like every golfer would say, keep your eye on the ball. My dad used to say, whenever we hit the ball wrong, he said this to me, he says to me, keep your head down, you watch the ball and I'll watch where it goes. Because the minute I lifted my head, the ball went all over the place. And I want to say this to you. You keep your head down. You keep your eyes on the ball. And God will watch where it goes. This is going to be an extraordinary standard. But I want you to stay understand that you're a vessels, that you fall to the very presence and the very nature of God, that healing, salvation, deliverance, and all of us need to live for you. 
that you can meet the Christ, that you can tell them about the good news of Jesus, that you can tell them about the birth of Jesus, this thing, that you can lay hands on the sick and they will be well and be saved alive. Because that's the mystery, that's the treasure that is laid up in your heart. And the will is out. And the question is this what are you doing with the treasure that is placed in you? Is it on a mantle as a showpiece? Or is it a treasure that you want to share with others? And I believe that it's going to be a treasure that you want to share with others. That you want to talk about the good news of Jesus, what he's done in your life, what he's about to do in your life. What he's done in your family, what he's done in your friends' life, what he's done in your finances, what he's done in your marriage. Those are little testimonies. I realized this week more than anything that I've got so much more to be grateful for than to be upset about. You see, the problem is with us is that we want to try and remember the last few days. And if we had a bad three days, then we had a bad week. And often if we had a bad four days, we had a bad month. But we don't realize that the 14 years before that month, God's going to be with us. That He's always come through for us. That he's never, he's never failed us. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's always been there for you. He's always been there for me. And I would say to you, trust Him once again, just to say that, to be all that you want in your life. May this be said, not about giving gifts, but maybe this is said be about giving the free gift of Jesus Christ. Maybe we can not buy presents and maybe we can evangelize this year. Maybe instead of giving presents, we can tell someone about Jesus this year. Because you know something? The church goes nowhere without your word. If you think that people drop out of the church, oh, listen, I think I'm going to come here. No. 95% of people that walk into the church walk into the church because of somebody. Let's stand. Father, it's exciting times what we're going through right now and it's the time we've been preparing for Christmas and preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus and what he's done for us. And this year we just want to stand out of the crowd a bit. This year we don't want to be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution this year. We don't want to be the loudest in every party, but we just want to be those that are faithful. And Father, I know this is an early Christmas message, but Father, I believe over the next three or four weeks that you're really going to start to speak into our lives like you never have before. And I want to say that to you, church. I want you to be so observant and so aware of God's presence in your life. Remember what said to you, said, that if you look for God in everything, you'll find him. If you don't look for God in everything, you're not going to find him anymore. And I just know that God is doing a great thing. I'm thankful that the church is full again. I'm thankful that all the guys are coming back slowly but surely. It's a nice place to be for a pastor to say, Jesus, we need to pack up more chairs again for the first time in three years. But that's because of God's faithfulness. It doesn't matter what we do, we made it, guys. We got and we're still worshipping. And so, Father, I thank you this morning for your grace. 
I pray that you come and touch our hearts this morning. And, and I want to say to you that, you know, if you need prayer this morning, we're going to be in the front. If you need to recommit your life to Jesus, we're going to be in the front. If you never give your life to Jesus, come to the front and let's pray for you. If you're sick, let us pray for you. But I don't want you to leave this house this morning carrying that burden anymore. I don't want you to leave this house carrying that rejection anymore. Or that bitterness or that anger. I've got to believe that God wants to do a new thing in your life. I believe that God wants the treasure in your life to start to be displayed to every person around you. And so Holy Spirit of God, I come in the name of Jesus to you this morning. I thank you that your word says that the same spirit that raised you from the dead is within us right now. I thank you that you have a purpose and a plan and a calling for our lives. And I thank you that even in December there's going to be a, a task, a, a calling, a, a freshness that you're going to require of us. And Father, I would pray for those this morning, not just in this church, but in our family and in our friends that where the gospel has been veiled, where the enemy has come and, and put something over the gospel that they just cannot see it. I pray that you help us unveil those moments, Father. I pray that you help us unveil those people, to unveil what it is that in their lives. And Lord, I want to thank you just for your goodness. I thank you that you never give up on us. And I want to thank you, Father, that you, by your grace, we are saved. Father, may we enjoy today. May we celebrate as a family. May we come back on Wednesday and just have a prayer meeting and, and next week just have a Harvest Sunday and just celebrate what it is that you do in our lives, I ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't forget those who want to get involved with